Welcome to Pick Up Your Sticks, where we talk about why gaming matters with your hosts, Walker Neer and Brett Lindley. I'm Walker, and today for the first time on Pick Up Your Sticks, we have a guest, a good friend of ours and a host of the Culture and Conversations podcast, Jameson Smallwood. All right, so what's going on, Brett? How are you doing today, man? Hey, doing great. How's it going? I'm well, thank you. And Jameson, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, guys, I appreciate the invite. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, yeah, Walker, it's good seeing you again. And Brett, meeting you for the first time as well in the person of Brett Lindley. <laughs> yeah, we've we've <laughs> spoken before, but uh, a little bit more yeah. face-to-face this time, as much Definitely. as we can be in a pandemic. Definitely. Right. So yeah, so I met Jameson uh, a couple years ago now up in PodFest at Orlando, Florida. Uh, and I, I, as we usually mention at the end of this show, have another podcast that I host by myself called The Walk Show. Jameson has been a guest on that show, and he's been kind enough to have uh, myself on his show, which that episode is out. And I think he's also interviewed Brett, and I don't think that episode's quite come out yet, but uh, in time, we will have all of us on all each other's shows. So. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, by the time this episode comes out, I plan on having uh, Brett's episode out. So we can go ahead and say it'll be out. Uh, awesome. I publish it tonight. How about that? <laughs> I was going to say, we're it. probably going to put it out this Sunday. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so obviously, you know, our podcast here, Pick Up Your Sticks, is about why gaming matters. Um, and I know on your show, Jameson, you had an episode uh, that you recorded, I think, solo, I don't know, within the last few months, um, where you talked about how gaming had really impacted your life. Um, and so certainly I want to talk about gaming and, you know, from a variety of, of, of angles, if you will, but uh, if you don't mind, kind of, how did you, how did you start to get into gaming? How did, how did you stumble into that? Well, I think, uh, I think that's the, the, probably the best part of the story initially. Um, you know, I grew up in South Georgia and, you know, for all intents and purposes, I grew up poor and uh, there's no shame in that. I don't feel any shame in that, but I didn't realize it at the time until you started looking back at, you know, socioeconomic data and you become hip to some things. Right. And um, so I was I was probably I would say four or five. I think I was five. And um, I was over at a friend's house and my friend, they lived in what we call shotgun houses. So, um, you know, shotgun houses are a remnant of the old south where you had one door at the back of the house or the front of the house, however you wanted to find orient the house. And then straight through the house to the back, to the other door, it, you know, it was just a straight line. So they called it a shotgun house. Mm. Doors lined up. Uh, these were, um, these were glorified shacks uh, for lack of, you know, for lack of a better word. And um, I was in, I, you know, I didn't live in one, but I was visiting a friend who lived in one. And uh, I never forget in this shack, I saw on their TV, a, little man bouncing around on bricks breaking you know stuff and and these mushrooms and uh coins and you know lights and flags and you know a dragon and i'm like what is this <laughs> what is this and this was five and i never forget i just got captivated that moment and and sure enough it was super mario brothers right and uh and they were playing and i was sitting there watching them control this this image on the TV with an objective in mind. And for my five-year-old mind, and I guess the type of brain I was developing into, 
it just was, you know, like setting fire to a forest and just watching it, you know, watching it all burn and be amazed by it. So um, at that point in time, that was my introduction to video games. That's a, that's amazing. I know that's one of the things that um, like a lot of people kind of just take for granted now, especially like a lot of us that are younger or, or, or were younger as gaming was kind of coming about um, is that uh, you like, your most of your interactions were like Saturday morning cartoons or, or maybe if your parents watch news on TV or PBS or something and uh, being able to actually influence the activity was, is, is like, wait a minute. Like, cause we could change the channel, you know, if you crawled across the room to twist the knob on the TV or whatever. Exactly. Um, but like to be able to control it, and and the things that you do show up on the TV immediately. It was just like, wow, that was, yeah. at least for me, it's, it's a, something that I don't think a lot of people get that experience anymore because it's just so ubiquitous now. Like cell phones, you just touch the screen and everything happens. It's like, it's just natural now. But I, I think, you know, growing up for a lot of us, it, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine being a, a kid where like, that was born maybe after 2005. I mean, I don't know the exact year, but I mean, you know, so for me, my very first video game experience was um, probably like in television or Atari, something like Frogger or maybe like the really old school, like Donkey Kong or the really old school Mario that doesn't play like Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo. Do you know what I'm talking about? Either of you with the two pipes and the pow block in the middle and the turtles come out. Yep. 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 So I remember that. Um, but but yeah, I can't imagine you know if that was that was the early gaming for me. I can't imagine <laughs> your first experience with gaming being a, a phone or uh, Fortnite or like an Xbox 360. Yeah, like <laughs> come on, Minecraft's your first video game. It just infinite universe. Great, yeah, awesome. Like, there's no rules. <laughs> and I, I certainly want to get back to your story, Jameson. But have you ever have you ever checked out Minecraft? I have not. Um, oh man, so. And me and gaming have a, you know, at least at least recently, uh, I'd say over the last maybe hmm, five years or so, I haven't really picked up my sticks, you know. Mm. Uh, and and I'm talking about in the console world. I've played some, I've played some stuff online, little just you know, dabble here and there, um, but I haven't had a chance to really sit down and commit myself to a video game in a long time. So either I've missed all the cool stuff since you know <laughs> Minecraft and uh, you know all these different games that you guys are talking about, especially in the PC world. I, I just totally am uh, just you know lost in that culture. Um, but you know I've had some time recently, so maybe before. Um, you know, I kind of get really involved with the rest of my life again. Um, I'll pick up my sticks and play some. <laughs> right, right. The great thing now is you don't have to worry about like a cartridge corroding or any. You just you can always get anything now, so yeah, it's perfect. not really missing it. <laughs> It'll always that's be the, there. I mean, especially if you play around with emulators, you can all, you can go back in time as far as you really want to if you if you go down that rabbit hole. So right, uh, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to playing a few different things. So. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. Like emulators were and and ROMs, which are the the files that you run on the emulator, um, used to be able to get pretty much anything from you know from the '90s, from from pre Nintendo sixty four. So like Super NES, Sega, regular Nintendo, anything from there, you could get all of that. But now, it's actually I mean, not that you you can't, and not that we advocate piracy on on, on pick up your sticks, of course, yeah. or anything illegal. However. <laughs> um, 
now because uh, because of, of the way that digital distribution works like nintendo on all their consoles for a long time now has what they call the virtual console so they've gone back to the gold mine and they're reselling people regular mario and old school you know all the old school games or whatever so it's it's just been interesting to see how something that i thought would never be sold again found another marketplace <laughs> well you know it's like playstation 2 right when playstation 2 came out they were very much the i did my knowledge the first console that lets you play old games so for you know forever you would just lose access to those old games unless you kept the old console mm-hmm. but with playstation 2 they actually uh, supported you playing your playstation 1 games on the console on playstation 2 so you know to your point, though, it never did create this this sort of you know, glorious, nostalgic uh, market to going back and playing, playing, you know, for people to buy old games. Uh, but it just gave it was just kind of, kind of like a really nice thing for a company to do to be like, hey, we'll let you play your old games on the new console. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I mean, you know, if you think about how you know how novel that sounds like a company doing something nice for its consumers. But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what argument usually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what their uh, I don't know what their incentive was, but I remember that. So, to your point, Walker, it's great to see us in the time now where the games of our youth were able to go back and play those, and uh, even introduce some kids that we may have you know influence over. Go, hey, have you ever have you ever played this? And they're like, No, what is that? And I'm like, Here, you know, this is awesomeness. Go play. So, yeah, well, and there's some cool. I mean, it, it's interesting, you know, especially like if you look at the original Mario. I think Brett was the one that shared it with me, but there is a uh, an article someone read on it was Kotaku or PC Gamer or one of those sites, but that was explaining like the the brilliance of level one world one in Mario Brothers for the NES because there's no tutorial, there's no on on screen text, and in games now tutorials are very common. Yeah, um, or in, in some games, especially in the PC world, like in a game like Minecraft. There's not an on-screen tutorial, really, but you you're gonna have to go look stuff up on the internet for how it works if you want to experience the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you look at something like old school Mario, and and there's just a, a a like a subtle brilliance to the way that the levels are just designed, um, where it's like now. And part of that's the controller was simple, right? So you only have two buttons you can press, and there's only four directions you can you could potentially go, and really it's just two because it's just left and right when you start so it's not even if you have no idea how it works you can ultimately kind of figure it out just by pressing around on the buttons and see and the game is again at least that level is just designed in such a way that it's very obvious what you need to do to to proceed you know like if you don't jump over that first goomba you die so then you're going to figure out that's what you need to do you know whereas modern gaming a lot of that's lost so my point is being there's cool stuff for, for modern people to go back and see in those old games that has really influenced a lot of, you know, the rest of gaming for all of time. Exactly. Exactly. I was thinking uh, when you were saying that Walker, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of where gaming lost me. If, you know, I started, if I'm honest, um, where I started playing, if, if the game required me to get a walkthrough and I don't know if you guys remember going to the store, buying walkthroughs where, you know, they, these were beautiful yeah, oh, they were just beautiful, full color, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just rich. Like, I don't know what the head, wherever that heavy magazine paper yeah, is. It's almost like a card stock, like the glossy it card is. stock. Yeah, it is. 
And uh, that was like that was like magic, man. You buy one of those, and now you get a whole different level of experience where they're telling you, okay, well, if you go the happy path, then yeah, you'll finish the game. But here is like all the other hidden stuff that you would have to just kind of wander around and bump your head against, you know, stuff to figure out. And uh, that's when gaming kind of, you know, kind of lost me because you're right. I think Mario Brothers what made it so fun is is that it was super simplistic once you once you played it for five minutes you understood the objective and um and then it was just little things you could you can you could do from there but uh i think the last the last game i seriously played uh and beat was final fantasy 8 which that was like wow. one of my you know my pinnacle achievement as a gamer it was that's a, uh, that's a good achievement <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that was a tough game so yeah, I talking about those like Brady or Prima guides. Uh, I definitely bought a, a guy that I've been friends with since I was a little kid. He was playing Final Fantasy VII actually, and I bought him one of those guides for his birthday one year when we were like twelve years old, so yeah. they could see the all the secrets and and all the stuff or whatever. And I think all those companies. I mean, I guess maybe they still exist, but I don't know how. Would you something different it. now? That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that is a good question. I mean, I, part of it now is just a culture in, right? Where, you know, we, and I, and I think, I don't know if me and Brett got into this really that deeply in our conversation, but one of the things that the culture has done now for video gaming is, you know, we're in a place where people are generating content, meta content around gaming. You know, you're playing games online, you're streaming. You know, heck, you got a podcast about gaming, you know, so everybody is generating meta content and that's part of the market that, uh, what, you know, those books used to represent is meta content showing you how to play the game, but not necessarily the game itself. And so, you know, now people are, are experts uh, in, at gaming and that you watch them play and learn their strategies and, and, you know, you can, you can go find any walkthrough for a video game uh, of any note and watch somebody play it. So. Um, and, you know, so I think I think, yeah, it's, it's probably that those those things don't exist anymore, but they've just sort of morphed into the the space of, you know, consumers telling their story through the game and, and you getting to know people who are gaming, you know, through them walking you through the game as opposed to um, there being a book you have to buy. Mm -hmm. I think that's a that's a great point. I think it also kind of points to like there's a lot of developers that. The, the game is only part of their content or maybe serves as like an advertising vector for their quote unquote real content. A lot of developers are streaming on Twitch, either the actual coding of their game, which is like the behind the scenes type stuff for the people that want to get into game dev and want to learn how to code. There's a, there's a lot of developers that are, you know, streaming that on Twitch. There's a lot of developers that, uh, release maybe monthly or weekly like blogs or vlogs or updates or videos uh, with all the behind the scenes stuff before a game's even released. They'll show like, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm thinking about doing. This is, you know, this is when it used to be a square and now it's a character and it can run and jump and stuff. And, and all of that stuff, all of the stuff that used to fill up like a special features or behind the scenes or exclusive access or something that some other journalistic, you know, route would use as their content by going and getting this behind the scenes stuff is now kind of self-owned, which I think is also really good. That means that you can diversify your own revenue stream, you know, 
and and not have to leverage uh, you know somebody else or be super famous to have a journalist come try to get that from you and then them sell it for ad space like and i think it also drives a lot more community too cuz now everybody can even if they can't dictate what's going to happen they can at least be there on the journey with you as you go through it yeah i i i agree um you know i just remember uh, kind of getting back, I guess, a little bit to the to my story with this and how video games changed my life, you know, and I'm jumping around a bit in the timeline. So we'll talk about different pieces as we go along. But uh, I remember when the XNA uh, game framework came out from the Xbox. Um, oh, so, yeah. Yeah. So that was like, I think, you know, and I'm not a game dev, but I am a developer by trade. So I just remember that being monumental where you could actually run the .NET framework, which was Microsoft's um, Java competitor, you know, for like, if, if for people who are able to follow along. But, you know, basically .NET is a, imagine having like a, a car engine that you can take and put into multiple car bodies. You can put it into a truck, you can put it into a station wagon, you could put it into um, a Ferrari and you could drive it. Now you may not drive it well in each of those different, you know, bodies, uh, vehicle bodies, but you could drive and you could manipulate the, you know, get the car to move or the truck to move or the Ferrari to move. So that's really what .NET is in, in the in the computer world is it's a you know coding framework that lets you um, create applications that can run in different environments. So one of the cool things with, with Microsoft getting into the game, uh, you know, console war space was that they came up with the Xbox and then they had code that they could run now on the Xbox. And so then they took it to another level and they said, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we created these uh, this framework that allowed you to write games and for the Xbox? And when that happened, you know, I think that was a major um, nudge in, you know, it ba basically tearing down some of the, 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 myth the mythos of, you know, video game development where now people really say, you know what, I might can write a crude game. And then obviously Microsoft has gone on to create a wonderful distribution network where people who are producing indie, indie video games uh, can you know, push out their video games out to their consoles. So, you know, it's, it, it, it is truly a, a, a leap forward uh, when you look at where gaming came from. And it all goes back to, like you said, Brett, just people now looking at other ways of taking the meta world around video gaming with this development or, you know, um, content creation and putting it into a place now where they, where they have ownership over it. And I think it's, I think I'm always, I'm always a fan of cutting off the middleman. Uh, if people want the ability to cut the middleman, some people don't mind having another person tell maybe parts of their story, but it's really cool that we're in a time where with video games, you can tell your whole story if you want to. Yeah, a talented or specialized middleman can be helpful, but a generic one nobody needs. <laughs> yeah, so are are you talking are you referring to like um like the Xbox Live Arcade on Xbox 360? So that's part it of it. So XNA is earlier. XNA is probably like I want to say like 2003 to 2005 ish somewhere in there. Yep. It was it was after the original Xbox but before the 360. They basically mm. released like this is the core framework. If you want to make a game for Xbox, you can code it on PC and then plug your PC into your Xbox and test it. And you could live test your game. Um, and then that was that was just as, I don't think it was called live. I think it was called like Xbox Gold 
at the time or something like that, where there was a subscription service, but there weren't a lot of indie games available yet. And XNA was kind of their push to start getting indie games onto the Xbox. I see. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when indie games kind of blew up in like 2008 and in, in my head, which I could be mistaken. But to me, like the thing that really that's like the, the milestone marker as far as a game would be the game Braid. Um, and that was kind of like the first time that I'd ever played something that was very small. It was only available as, as a download. You know, it was only available digitally. You couldn't go buy it in a store. Um, and it was made by one guy. You know, didn't have a big publisher. <laughs> right, right. But it was like a really, really well done game. And I mean, there's a scene in it that to this day, if I go read it, like I don't necessarily cry, but like I'll get goosebumps. You know what I mean? Like it'll still hit me. Um, and yeah, I was just really, just really impressed with it. And so, yeah, I, I totally agree that the, the indie game scene and the, the access to people to be able to develop more, um, has, it's just changed things so much. I mean, it's, it's kind of analogous to like how streaming has changed music. Like I, and I'm in my thirties and I, I hang out with a couple of guys I know that are in their early twenties and, and they, they remember like before streaming cause they had like iPods and stuff when they were real young, but they didn't have to just go to a CD store and listen to CDs and blockbuster music. And you know what I mean? Like have your whole collection stolen from underneath your seat. Like <laughs> right. how or, devastating it was. Yeah. Or you scratch, uh, scratch your favorite oh. uh, CD, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm the worst i remember i had burned like all of my my dad very early started like we're gonna burn and keep the originals in the jewel case and we'll burn duplicates in case somebody steals them and that was fine but then i started getting into like uh kind of like indie music bands and they would hand you a promo disc well i I didn't always think to burn those because they were already on a burned disc so i wouldn't go download and like those losing those hurt more because today i can go back and stream something that i missed or something that i got stolen from some main band from 10 years ago but i i'll never find that promo there are things that aren't on the internet and if they are i don't know how to find find them you know (laughs) yeah yeah i think um I think it's always interesting when we look back at how, you know, we kind of got to this different, these different places, you know, I mean, you know, video games for me, you know, it, it represented a lot of community initially because when the video game uh, craze hit, you know, for me, you know, it was started with the NES. Um, but then, you know, there was just a lot of things that just kind of popped up around me the, like the arcade, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the arcade was was a big deal um, where, you know, we had a place called the Fun Factory. So um, we went to the mall and you would just walk in and there'd be all these kids playing video games. But also there was always like this, this, this one guy who was like in his early 20s, you know what I mean? Like, you know. He, he smelled like cigarettes and he yep. was just like, really, he was really like, you knew if you could beat him, you could really, you were, game. you'd be a king. <laughs> yeah. And you were thinking to yourself like, oh, the whole time, like, uh, you know, like this guy is, you know, you're like, what, maybe 15 and this guy, like I said, is 25 and, you know, but and you're like, man, video games is in my, you know, it's my domain guy. Like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> he was just at the edge, right? Where, you know, I think early on for us, 
we always had a few adults, you know, and I say adults in, in the sense of the early 20s, who gravitated to video games too. So they weren't technically the generation that got targeted by Nintendo, but they were right on the edge. So they kind of just got sucked into it too. So it was always fun playing against um, playing against that generation of gamer. And, um, and, and I really, I just, I just remember, I think the, I think the thing gaming should do for you and it, what it did for me as it kind of, you know, help open my mind up is it just really helped fuel my imagination, right? Like uh, not only you have, you, you got the problem solving that games inherently have in them, um, but also just, just this idea of creating an idea and turning it into an objective in a virtual world. And uh, for me, that was, that was powerful because, you know, video games literally don't exist, but the worlds they create um, in terms of, you know, the, the, the virtualization uh, from, from, you know, from just code running on a machine, it really blows your mind to think about how expansive it can really be. And I think, I think as a young kid, especially in South Georgia, you know, it could really be a form of escapism because you're, you're limited to your surroundings when you don't have much. So I think part of what made video games fun is that it would just expand your world, you know, and you could literally have, you don't need, you don't need to travel. Like you could just pop, pop in a video game and now you're playing, you know, you're playing at, you know, Arrowhead stadium, right. Or, you know, you're playing at, um, you know, you're, you're, you're driving on, you know, you know, at Le Mans or whatever, you know, or, or in NASCAR or playing golf at the, at the, you know, at the masters, you know, it, it just could take you to a place that you really weren't at. But for that time period that you played it really, yeah, that's where you were at. And it's, it was wonderful. I think wonderful. that's a, that's a hugely great point that I got, I had a flood of memories when you talked about that, because I, I realized that gaming is what drove me to reading, which mm. then drove me to becoming a writer. So mm. I, I wrote because I wanted to I wanted to create more of these fantasy worlds that I was playing in. And so my dad started taking me to the library because he's like, well, we can't afford to buy a video. I mean, we were not we we're not very well off either, which I think we spoke about on on your show. And, yeah. and but he said, hey, let's go to the library. I'll get you some books. We'll get you some some, you know, young adult fantasy and science fiction and stuff and start working on it there. And as I started reading it and playing it, I was like, well, for me, I mean, my, you know, I was always kind of a creator. It, I, I grew up with Legos, the, the universal toy, you know, and, and I could make whatever I wanted there. And when I learned that I could make whole worlds too, like, that's just what I wanted to do. I wanted to, uh, you know, and, and writing a video game was a lot harder back then than it is. It's still difficult now, but you can have mm -hmm. a lot more help now. But uh, but writing a book was a lot easier. Writing short stories was a lot more accessible, and I think that that I was really driven to that because of video games. Because Joust was me riding a giant peacock lizard as a knight. <laughs> I don't know really, but it, it made me want to battle over lava. And like, where else does that happen? How else can I do that? Where can I experience that? And, and I think that it really drove a lot of that that creative drive came from playing video games, it, but drove me to other creative outlets. Walker, do you remember your um, first video game you played? Yeah. I mean, very first one would probably, I would have to say it was probably Frogger um, oh. on like in television. 
the first game that I fell in love with would probably be uh, would probably be the original Mario. And then shortly thereafter, my dad picked up. So my dad, he was 33 when I was born. So when I was five, he would have been 38, roughly. Um, so not in his 20s, certainly, but I, I don't know, young enough to still be into it. Um, but anyway, he we got the original Metroid and we got Mike Tyson's punch out. Uh, he was so he actually his birthday, he passed away back in, in 2004. Um, but his birthday is March 27th, which was recently. And I always take his birthday off every year to celebrate, you know, his life or whatever. And, and I'll, I'll usually hang out with my sister this year. We couldn't because of hashtag coronavirus. But um, <laughs> but anyway, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it later in the year. But anyway, so. I actually just this last this, like I said, March 27th, I was hanging out at home. I was off work and uh, and I found myself actually starting to like start to be a little sad about it. And, and the whole reason I take the birthday off is is to celebrate, not to be sad. Right. I mean, there's a, there's plenty of other time to be sad, but not that day. And so actually what I did was uh, was I pulled up a speed run of Mike Tyson's punch out. Oh, nice. And watch that, which I mean, my dad wasn't a speed runner, so he wasn't <laughs> he wasn't at that level. Right. Uh, I actually watched two dudes blindfolded playing on one controller. <laughs> what? I don't even know how they came up with that as a thing to do. But anyway, um, but yeah, I'm like my dad was the only person that I knew, you know, and I was five or six, so I didn't know that many people. But of all my kid, my kid friends or whatever no one could beat Mike Tyson. Like, even if you could get to him, you, you would always die at Mike Tyson, but my dad could actually beat him. So that was like a, like a, a badge of honor or whatever <laughs> for him. And, um, and I remember like, I, I remember the Metroid game. It was before there were memory cards and before right. there was any way to save. And so what old games like that did is they would give you a passcode. Mm-hmm. Like at certain points in the game, it would uh-huh. be a stopping point. Yeah, like, like in Mike Tyson's Punch Out, it's like every three or four fights, it'll it'll give you a passcode. It's when little Mac is running through Brooklyn and his trainers on the bicycle or whatever, it'll give you a passcode. Well, my dad, so Metroid worked the same way. So my dad worked nights, and so I would wake up in the morning, and he would have been up all night playing Metroid, and he would always write down his code uh, that would generate the save state, basically that that the game had created. So. I, I would always plug that in and then see where he was and try and play. And I was terrible. So I'd always die, but, um, but it didn't matter. Cause it was not progress in the same way as like, now right. it's I, kind of like waking up like Christmas where like you wake up and just have new guns and you're in a new map right. and you have no idea where you are, but yeah. But I remember one time, one of the codes, it had a two in it and this is kind of hard to describe maybe, but like the way he, you know, he had to write it down on a piece of paper and the way he wrote the two like if you look at a two like on typeface, like the bottom line is a flat horizontal line, right? But when people write it, a lot of times they'll do a little loop at the bottom to make like a little kind of curly Q2 or whatever. I had never seen that symbol before when I was five years old, man, and I had no idea what it was. <laughs> and I just went I just couldn't figure it out. I just had no idea. And eventually he woke up, you know, and got up for the day or whatever. And I was like, what is that? And he, was like, <laughs> he scribbled. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Come on. Like, how am I supposed to keep up with this? You if know? you look at the game, that's a two. You see how it's flat on the bottom? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm five, man. <laughs> uh, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But something, man, when you were talking about, to jump back just a second, when you were talking about the arcades. So the arcade in our area was called Aladdin's Castle. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, okay so that's for brett too so yeah so we had aladdin's castle 
um, which was super cool. But I grew up similar to you guys, I think. I mean, I, I wasn't there were certainly kids that were less fortunate than I was. So of course, yeah. I was, you know, there, there at the, at the, the worst off. I would say lower middle class is how I would probably explain it. You know what I mean? Um, so like I could rent games, but I couldn't buy games very much. Um, but anyway, so we would go to Aladdin's castle and like, I mean, if I got $5 at Aladdin's castle, like that was a hookup, you know what I mean? Like, Oh that, yeah. That, oh, that yeah. would go a long way. <laughs> or, remember, or it would go a very short amount of time in one of the really fancy games. Correct. Correct. The X-Men arcade game. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love that game or the oh, simpsons dude. arcade dude with the where marge has the vacuum cleaner like mm-hmm. all good yeah. yeah things things kids will never know how cool it was man oh right i never forget not to hijack your story walker but just no, no. man it was uh, for me it was x-men uh the very first marvel versus capcom when i saw that i was like oh my god <laughs> you know mm-hmm. uh, I lost. I'm sorry. People were listening to this. Was like, what was that noise he just made? I'm sorry. <laughs> it was you freaking out with excitement. I get it, man. Yes, yes. And and doing it with without um, you're creating all this audio disruption at the same time. <laughs> I uh, uh, just that story there made me think of real quick. The last time I went and bought a console, uh, I was in Best Buy, and uh, you know I was in Best Buy, and they had this massive like I don't know. It had to be like a, a probably sixty something inch screen TV. HD and you know the Xbox 360, uh, you know the later generation, the one that wasn't like just taking people's money, but with the red ring of death, mm-hmm. and um, when they actually went and fixed the problem, but never told us what the problem was. Um, <laughs> I went and I saw I saw uh, Marvel versus Capcom, uh, you know whatever year that was. I think that was like 2000, and uh, it's probably like 2009, maybe 2008. Yeah, uh, you know, but. I saw that and I was, and I saw that, you know, because it, it just took me back to that when I was a young kid and I, and the first time I saw it, it looked so good and it felt so much like a, the arcade. I don't know what they did with the frame rates and, you know, the animation and stuff to make it feel that way, but it felt like it was the arcade versions, you know, running on modern um, hardware. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, literally that was an impulse buy. I bought, I was like, I want that. <laughs> I, didn't buy the TV, I was like, I want the console and I want the game. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's awesome, man. Yeah, for me, like, so for me to buy a console, it's always motivated by a, a piece of software. Um, it's, it. I don't think I've ever bought a console just to have the console to see what would come out. So, like, for me, when I got a 360, it was because Grand Theft Auto 4 came out. And Grand Theft Auto, to me, is, like, the, I don't know, magnum opus of gaming. Like, it's just, it, it does so many different things, and it's so, it's just so wild uh and so when gta 4 came out it was only on on xbox for like the first year and so i was like yep that day went to the store got an xbox 360 got gta 4 and was a happy little camper from then on yeah uh consoles i mean that that was just my world you know i grew up in the console world and um you know i never thought about i was telling brett when we talked i never thought about pc gaming as being a real alternative i mean i didn't have a pc growing up but i had you know a console and, um, you know, not to try to definitely not to try to sound too uh, biased to your audience. But I mean, I think one of the reasons why is that consoles were very affordable relative to a computer, even though they had they didn't have a shelf life. You know, the companies would stop supporting them and stop producing content for them. So, you know, but at the time, you know, we just we would have a console hang around for, you know, three, four years, you know. And so 
you think about it, you're like, okay, well, during my formative years from five until let's say 18, you know, I went through maybe I had what, you know, four consoles, you know, so, and they're all around 200, $300 each. So you, you take four consoles time, let's say 300, that's $1,200. That's a, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a computer by the time you're said and done, but you've gotten all the new generations of, you know, of, uh, of games. So I, I don't know. It just, for me, it was, you know, you know, I don't know. Consoles are just interesting. They're, they do get deliver value, but I always remember my friends who were into PC gaming. Uh, they were always just, uh, they were, they were always so, they always seemed like they had so much more freedom because they, you know, if a game came out and they had a strong enough video card or hardware to run it, they were in the game. They, you know, they, they didn't have to wait until the next version of the console came out. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I remember, I remember all of that. I mean, and just even the, like, and I think one of the things uh, going back to, I guess a little bit more of my storytelling about video games and how it changed my life. You know, I, I mean, I went on to become, I went on to become, you know, a software engineer. And while I was in school, you know, I just started remembering hearing about some of these, like some of the terms. And like I was telling, you know, we, we were talking on the other show um, about like, Hey, what does a bit mean? You know, what is a bit? And how does that relate to the video game? Because the NES was 8-bit, so that's 2 to the 8 colors that it can represent, 2 to the, you know, to the 8th power colors it can represent. So then 16-bit became 2 to the 16-bit colors, 2 to the 32, you know, 32-bit systems, 64-bit systems. And now we're at a time where we really don't even talk about bits mm-hmm. in video games anymore, but that used to be a selling point. People don't understand. Like, people would, you know, would where you could sell, your console was marketed based on the number of bits it had. That's why the N64 is called the N64, yeah. right? Because it was such a leap. Um, 16 million world. colors in yeah. flashing yeah. 90s, like red and yeah. yellow spiked explosion look. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, and I mean, the N- I think one of the things that the N64 probably doesn't get enough credit for is that uh, it was the first console to do 360, to be able to do... Um, you know, you know, uh, 360 worlds, you know, 360 degree worlds, uh, you know, before then the only consoles that could do that were your, um, uh, were your disc consoles, like the PlayStation, uh, the Sega Dreamcast mm-hmm. and, um, you know, so, or, 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 or like in computer world or in your computer world, right. You always had polygons and stuff. Right. Uh, but you know, for the first to take it to be, to be a console to jump into that, that was, that was really interesting. And uh, Nintendo was kind of like stubborn. They were like, "We're, we're never going to make discs. Right. <laughs> we're always going to make consoles and uh, it, it cartridges for the console." So, I say consoles. The first console to do three sixty, but I mean to say the first cartridge-based console right. to do uh, sixty-degree uh, characters, um, not characters, but uh, the whole world. The whole worlds, yeah, yeah. And so for me, like I said, I got into, when I went to school and started studying this stuff, I was like, "Oh, this is what a bit means." And and then I started being amazed at just how hard this stuff was to reproduce, like how hard it was to make a game, you know, based on my little rudimentary knowledge of how how coding had to work. And and um, so it became really cool to, to kind of go back and, and have a, a sort of another moment of, you know, thinking about just what what I was playing and get, getting exposed to. And like you were talking about, Walker, some of these like to jump, like the, the passcode, you know. And I'm wondering now when you say that, you know, like I'm sure that passcode that was generated on your on your version of Mike Tyson would have been the same passcode for every version of Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. So you know, at that point, um, 
you know, that's probably literally like a go-to statement. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, it's just it's setting, way. it's flipping switches. <laughs> like all the Mega Man's were that way too, because you could yeah. you could de- like deduce them down to like which bosses has had been beaten would be like two or three rows, and then how many mm. lives you had would be one row. And it would okay. just be like A, C, F, D, F, yep. whatever. It's basically hexadecimal that's been, you know, cryptographied yeah. a little. But yeah, it was just straight up like this is just set these variables to these numbers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then now the state of the game goes right back to what it was because, yeah, they couldn't persist that number, Mm-mm. but they could give it to you and show you what the state was like a, like a screen dump, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. So it's amazing, man. Like I just – you know, for me, the the life changing piece, the probably the most life changing piece of that was just, you know, like I said, the tech, being exposed to the technology, you know, and 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 beginning to, you know, have to solve certain a certain level of problem, like, you know, how to connect this thing to my TV, or how to connect, you know, um, you know, you know, the cables and and what this stuff meant, and you know. Yeah, be understanding. All right, you can't. You got to be careful about your disc and not to scratch the disc. And and then understanding what loading meant. You know, like just okay. I mean, I'm playing a, a disc, so there's no place in memory on the disc because it's read only. So the game has to buffer so much of it into the memory on the console in order for you to play through that world. And then they're they're pre they're prefetching parts of the game based on your your progress and and it just was, you know. But these are all these technology problems. That ultimately, like I said, I kind of got exposed to, and the concepts made the concepts made sense, but they didn't really click for me until after it, they kind of sucked me into the world of computing and, and, and being a programmer, and um, so it was like, oh man, this is why this works this way, and you know, this is why you know um, this you know like like I never forgot I was playing uh, WCW versus NWO Nitro, yep. and uh, on PlayStation uh, I think it was like PlayStation Two. Or, or, or maybe, no, it may have been PlayStation One. I think this was PlayStation One, and uh, and I never forget playing it. And uh, it, when they had multiple characters run out, it would just like slow down and grind to a halt. You know, they just had this massive performance issue. And one of the game, the thing that made the game cool was that they had put all this um, all this technology into having really, um, uh, really into oh, not say interactive, but really vivid. Uh, muscle tone and 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 you know you know and the characters are really po- uh, dense you know polygons or whatever. So when you had another one around the screen, like in case like somebody came in to interrupt the interrupt your match, it just was like grind to a halt. Can't take it had, too much. <laughs> yeah, it's too much. So it was just you know. And in hindsight, I was like, well, why does the game play like that? But when I got to you know more mature in my career, I was like, ah, that's what that is. That was a performance problem, and they couldn't fix it in time to release the game. So. Because that was such a small part of the game, they just let that go, and then you know you could see the game speed back up when the when the person ran off the screen, you know. So it was it was just really, I think that's what's so cool about games is that you know obviously playing the game in itself was was a thing to do, but for me, it just really helped me grow my imagination. It helped me realize that that being smart had a place in the world, you know, or being or you know. Being, I don't want to say being smart because that sounds so, um, that sounds so like self-serving. But like you know, just thinking different. There we go. That's the, that's what I'm trying to say. Thinking different about things and having an imagination and, and being, um, being able to sort of immerse yourself in your thoughts in this abstract world. It really does have a place. And and video games was the first place I found a refuge for it for myself in there. Did you find yourself? 
because because I mean we've hit on a lot of a lot of pieces that I think it's all of the pieces combined, of course, you know. But I feel like, do you think that you were drawn like, and maybe it's different for different you know ages in your life, but were you drawn more to like the community aspect? Of course, there's the entertainment aspect, which is kind of where it all kind of starts. You're not going to do it if it's not fun. But but as you saw it. As you look back and see the changes that video games, you know, imparted in your life and the direction that you took, do you feel like it was the, like the community by, you know, reaching out to certain people or just more in the problem solving and seeing kind of taking things apart and seeing how they work? Like what kind of drove you, you know, forward in your life? Like, did you seek video games out to get more of that? type of feeling or was it you know more kind of a side effect of the community that you got this other type of feeling with it oh that's a good that's a great question i think i think that there's a couple different pieces there when i think about this whole thing you know for me i was never much of a social butterfly you know i was i was always a big overweight kid um you know i was a bit of a somebody would call me a geek or a nerd depending on what uh (laughs) what day of the week it was um, and, and so for, for our listeners, that was before those were popular terms. It yes, used to yes, be derogatory the, for those of us. They used to be insult. Right. Uh, now, uh, now people make like really big time TV shows about being quote unquote geek <laughs> right. and, uh, and never getting the girl. Right. So, um, I, uh, so I remember for me, it gave me a place of social acceptance because I may not be the most athletic. Um, I may not have been, um, you know, the most popular kid, but like, you know, you sit down next to me playing a video game and I could beat you. You know what I mean? I, I was really competitive. So, you know, it, 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 in, in terms of my socializing, it leveled the playing field. And then too, you know, growing up where I grew up at, there was nothing for us to do. So um, going back to this, to the shotgun house story, I was telling you guys about the shack, the shack story. So the guy who owned the NES, he kept on getting games. So he eventually got a job working for software, et cetera, slash Babbage's. And, wow. Uh, there's a, there's a story I haven't heard of in a while. <laughs> yeah. Software, et cetera, man. And, uh, and I remember he just, you know, he was an older guy, a couple years older than us. And uh, he just he would come back home with like just video game after video game after video game. And I was so jealous, right? Because <laughs> I didn't realize in the grand scheme of things how how little or how much a video game costs, depending on what you want to say. But now it's a little bit different. But you could buy a whole game, you know, all-encompassing game for 50 bucks on a PlayStation. I remember that number. It's like $49.99 for the new games. And so he would come home from the mall and have all these games and uh and and so all of my friends who were around the same age as me a little bit younger a little bit older we all would go to his house and just spend like gobs of saturdays you know just over there at his house playing games it was so, an arcade <laughs> it was an arcade it really was man and um uh, you know he he would just give us this he, his mom was so cool and she would just give us the space to be there and so you know ultimately it gave me social acceptance because in that space, in that context, no one cared how fast I could run or, you know, or if I was, you know, quote unquote, had, a, you know, had, 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 um, you know, I was a silver tongued devil when it came to the girls or whatever. N- none of that stuff that none of the social constructs that I sucked at mattered. The only thing that mattered was, could I play this game, you know, and could I hold my own play in this game? And, 
Uh, so that that socializing that the game gave me that was awesome, you know. And that's ob- and obviously it sounds, you know, to people now kind of crazy, but that was before we had the internet, so we didn't have the ability to reach out and have a community of gamers to be a part of. You had to your, your community was your gaming your gaming community, you know. And uh, lastly, um, lastly, Brett, one of the cool things um, was that now that you, you say that, I was just so into daydreaming about getting games and so going back to that meta content those books uh like tips and tricks or game pro like oh i used to love getting game pros yep. and buying those and and you know so i couldn't buy games but i could buy the books talking about the uh-huh. games and yeah i you know what I mean? so, a pc you know, gamer I, mag I, was a rare kind of thing that i could if i wasn't i didn't always get to buy them but i could sit in the grocery store and read them while mom and dad went and, and got groceries and that was always like Oh man, all these new games coming out. I could talk about them now, like I know about them, even though I don't play them. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, well, you think about it. There was no internet, so who was going to tell us about the game if it wasn't in a magazine, yep. a game magazine? You know. And so I just remember, like I said, studying that stuff and and just daydreaming about wanting these games and fantasizing about these games. And and uh, I remember reading uh, the I re- reading the original article about Metal Gear Solid. Uh, on PlayStation, I remember reading it in the Game Pro, and just you know about how this is going to change games, and they had this big write up about it. And you know those great the the, the problem was like uh, the photography of a video game was often really horrible. You know, like mm-hmm. the actual gameplay photography was so bad. But yeah, because I remember dismissing Metal Gear Solid, I was like, oh, that game looks like crap. It, I, it, I, you know, because because how a game looked still mattered back then because yeah. technology part of the advancement of the of the console is how good how much more real are the games going to look so um i just never forget dismissing Metal Gear solid which is like one of the greatest video games of all time and i'm just all oh, yeah look at this look at these these horrible graphics and but you know they, that's back when they would show you the beta they would show you the early access stuff in the in the in the magazines and uh so just keeping up with the technology and just what they were doing and just reading up on stuff just so that I could, I could still be in the know, even though I couldn't, you know, I kind of get emotional thinking about it because it was just, that's, that's what I had to do. You know, like that was the, that was the, that was what gave me access to, to that world. Like I, you know, I didn't have the money to go and buy games, but you know, I was going to know about the game and I was going to learn as much as I could about the game without actually having it. And, um, and so that getting exposed to all of that, that those conversations and those books and in those articles, they really, um, you know, kept you know, pushing my mind towards thinking about technology as a career and seeing value in it. And, um, and it was, and I think I'm really grateful for that. Cause I mean, that's what really helped, helped me kind of, yeah, obviously leave from home and, and get to a different place in life. So um, if it wasn't for video games, I wouldn't, and those, it wasn't for video games, those magazines and that socializing, I wouldn't have, I just wouldn't have become the person I am today. And I'm, I'm really appreciative to video games for that. So thank you. Yeah, man. No, I, uh, I would have to, I would have to, to second that. Um, I mean, I, I would say that my, my path to my day job is not quite as straight of a line as that. Um, I, I, to me, I think what video games have done, and it's funny because, you know, growing up, especially as a kid, I mean, my mom to this day still kind of has the sentiment that like video games are, um a waste of time or they're just you know it's just it's equivalent to just watching tv or something right like there's no real value in it 
but I just can't disagree enough. I mean, it's one of the reasons that Brett and I started this podcast to talk like, like we always say, why gaming matters, because um, there's just so much that comes from it, whether it be the social interaction, like you were talking about with the different kids you had in your neighborhood when you were, when you were playing, or like for me, it was a huge bonding thing, you know, with, with my dad or whatever. Um, again, he worked nights. So he would, even when he was off work, he would stay up pretty late. So when I was a young kid, he would put me to bed at maybe 10 o'clock at night. But then he would come back in at like 11, 1130. I don't know exactly how late. Maybe it wasn't that long at all. But in my head, it seemed like it was just, you know, a very long time. And he'd come back and check on me. And if I was awake, he would let me get back up. And then we would go play NBA Jam together. And, and NBA Jam is like the perfect two-player game, right? I mean, it's it's a, it's the designed for co-op from the ground up. Um, but yeah, just just super cool stuff. But the, the, the other lesson that I think gaming does is it especially growing up the way that i think all of us did where like maybe you only have two or three games at the house at any given time and again maybe maybe you go rent one or something but you just you know as far as buying them i got maybe one for christmas every year or something but that's it you know Mm -hmm. so so you spend a lot of time with the same game and so you kind of end up just being like well what happens if i do this like what are the rules of this thing? Not just what the manual says on how to control it, but like, what happens if I do this? What happens if I do that? How do I, how can I manipulate and bend the the parameters of this? And I think that that translates into, you know, you can call it problem solving, but really just like interacting with the rest of life and the rest of the world. Now, to be clear, not that I live some like guru life or something and don't have... <laughs> problems that i can't figure out i saw obviously i do but the point just being like I think <laughs> gaming is a great tool for um for kind of teaching critical thinking in an abstract way well yeah because... i think thinking outside the box because I, I think especially owning you know also being in a position where one to two games a year you know maybe one in the summer if it's really special and then a christmas one yeah you do start to try to not like you're it's not like you're trying to cheat usually you're just playing with it but you're playing with it outside of the rules of the game you're playing with the game itself, not playing the game as it's intended. And I think mm-hmm. that that thinking outside the box stuff is, I think that's what drove me to a lot of the things that I like. And, you know, I, I do a lot of process improvement for for my company and, and help think about, like, I always ask the question, like, do we have to do this? Like, can we do it any different way? And everybody will always say, well, we have to do it this way because it's the way it's always been done. I'm like, yeah, but why? Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, I think that's something that I learned, like you said, trying to take a part of it. What, what happens when I do it backwards? What happens when I go to the last boss first or wander off the screen or try to mix two items that you're not supposed to mix? Like, does it break or does it do something weird? And, and why does it do that? And cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think, and I think that's the piece that uh, when you were touching on a Walker Bob, people saying gaming doesn't matter. You know, I think that. I think that it's just like, you know, not to sound too woo-woo, but, you know, I know I know that you're on that journey and, and Brett is on a little bit of that journey, so I'll, I'll share this perspective. I mean, the journey is the thing, right? It, it, you know, the journey is what changes us. You know, it's not so much the end goal that changes us, it's the journey. And so, you know, playing games and and whatever whatever our goal in the game was, like, you know, freeing, um, uh, freeing what's her name, Princess Toadstool. Mm-hmm okay, that doesn't, that doesn't do anything materially to the world around me. 
But what about the journey of perseverance and about not quitting and about being patient and about making mistakes and getting so close and then failing and, you know, dusting yourself off? Like, I think if I think if people are honest, video games teach us how to be tough without us really suffering the physical scars that oftentimes we would have to go through in life. You know, the the real consequential stuff where that, that failing can kind of produce in your life. And so this idea of, hey, let's start over, let's reset, let's let's try again, let's, okay, I know this is down this, you know, I know this enemy's down this road, and I made this mistake fighting them the last time, maybe let me see if I can't, you know, get better from this, you know, and, um, and so yeah, it, it would it would expose these opportunities for us to grow and be better. And because I mean, and, uh, for me, I think that's one of those things that helps me in my life is just, you got to be tenacious and, and there's games that that you would just play that required a lot of tenacity you know and um i mean you think about like the mega man concept where you beat all the all the villains and then you have to fight them again you know <laughs> you know but the cool thing is and, and this is really one that i guess that moment is that the journey of you beating all those characters in mega man gave you equipment that then lets you trounce them again the next time you fought them but you know that was the but the journey is what changed Mega Man into the into the you know being able to do those things. So if you never go on the journey, then it doesn't matter about you beating a boss or whatever. You just never, you never, you never become better and stronger. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So I think I think for us, you know, it gave us a chance to. It gives you a chance if you're open minded to it, to um, you know excel at that. Like you said, that problem solving world, and. Um, and learn from those ups and downs and those mistakes and, you know, losing and, and learning how to lose and learning how uh, to, you know, how to uh, be appreciative of somebody else winning. Uh, and then, you know, like you start thinking about things like collaboration, right? Like games that where you could collaborate and be on the same team, like GoldenEye. Like where do you learn, you know, how to communicate as a team and pro- solve problems now in tandem, you know? So it, I think when people say gaming doesn't matter, they're being narrow sighted in all the different things that gaming can teach you along the way. And, um, you know, I'm glad, I mean, I'm glad I had the experience of, of coming up with video games or growing up with video games more appropriately is because without that, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be in a position to do a lot of the things that I do for career wise. And I don't, I wouldn't have developed a lot of the perspectives that I'd have developed in terms of how I solve problems today. I think saying a safe place to fail is a really like I think you key in on something really unique there that yeah you're not going to get scarred but you still you still have to try just as hard and it, you do. and and you, do. you still yeah. have to work to to get a victory but it's a it's a safe place to fail and having a safe place to fail is is like you're going to learn to do a backflip better on a trampoline than you are on the concrete you know yeah yeah and I think so often the world wants us to you know to to not fail ever so they make the penalty for failing so gross but uh in video games you can you can you can work and work and work and work at it and get better and better and better at it you know and then sometimes like mike tyson right you learn to accept that you can't beat you can't be just can't beat that thing and uh it's okay (laughs) you know then uh and then you realize that the real trick is to get somebody else who can beat it then steal their progress yeah right <laughs> pick up where hey it's just that's collaboration they helped you get over a hard yeah. part you and then yep. you get through the rest <laughs> yep that's it right that's it. well so we've been talking for quite a while um so i, I just kind of a, a 
you know, not really related to the the deeper subjects that we're talking about. But what would you say your favorite video game of all time is? And and I know that might be hard, but if you had to pick one, what would you what would you go with? Man, singular singular game. I would say, uh, without a shadow of a doubt, I really enjoyed playing Final Fantasy VIII. Um, that game, I actually, I actually put that game down for a while, and then I had the, um, I had the walkthrough for it as well, and so I picked it back up, and uh, you know, I just remember you know being a little bit late because everybody swore Final Fantasy VII like the greatest video game ever made for you know at least in the console world. So I, I was like, well, I've got to play Final Fantasy VIII. And, you know, sometimes you're a little late to the party, but it was such a, it was a fun game. Um, really, uh, really graphically beautiful game. Uh, some good storytelling in there. Um, and, and just, it was, it was four disc. Like that was the thing that was crazy about it. It was like a four disc game. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. And, um, it, but my favorite video game series uh, would be, um, uh, um, as you guys would call it, foosketball, um, uh, NCAA uh, college football. Mm. That whole series, uh, that you know, that series is that it, arguably probably the, the greatest sports game ever made or series uh, game ever made. And people, and I mean, this is coming from the same company who makes uh, Madden. And I say Madden is number two to that game. Um, and uh, it may not be as Madden may be a slightly more popular, but in terms of gameplay and versatility. And the ability to have an identity, um, you know, I, nothing nothing comes close to that in terms of a sports game, in my opinion. Um, now, I haven't played FIFA and all that other stuff, but, you know, that's my hot take is NCAA college football. So so my best friend growing up was a big Madden guy. So then we, we graduate high school and move into a house or whatever. And I didn't really want to try and get into Madden because I knew he would just crush me because he's playing uh-huh. franchise modes and just knows way too much. So I would hype him like when he would play against other people, like I would sit in the room and talk smack on his behalf while they were playing, but I wasn't in the loop. <laughs> Typical me. Anyway. Um, so, so I also picked up NCAA cause I, I wanted to play a football game, but I didn't want to play his football games. So I was like, Oh, well, I'm doing NCAA that way. It's my own flavor. You can't come to this territory. You don't, you know, you don't know about it. And I'm telling you, man, it's, it's weird also, and it, it, I think it goes back to what we were talking about with video games and like kind of just like poking and prodding in the systems and seeing like, well, how's this going to work or how's this going to work? And, and I, I realize I'm going to sound, I'm, I don't actually think I'm like a brilliant football mind or something. So just to be clear, but it's going to sound like that's what I'm saying. And I kind of am. I, <laughs> I was playing the NCAA games and I was killing with like, like Rutgers, you know what I mean? Like not a big powerhouse school, right? Uh-huh. Not even really a big college football guy. But anyway, so I'm out here winning national championships, getting all the blue chip prospects every year in recruiting. And I, I'm telling you, what I was doing was getting – I was drafting fast quarterbacks – or not drafting, but recruiting fast quarterbacks who were faster than they could throw, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Vic, Patrick Mahomes. Now I know Vic and Mahomes and those guys can throw too – but it's really their mobility is the big thing. And I was running bootleg plays and I was using people deep. So the, the safeties had to either commit. Now this is really football nerd talk right now. I get it. Sorry for you. Those of you who are like, what are you on about? But anyway, (laughs) I would make the safeties commit because they either had to, to stay with the receiver, right. And double team the receiver or put him in single coverage and try and come to me. And if they go with the receiver, 
I'm just booking it. I'm going up the sideline first down all day long. And and my my friend who saw it was like, that's why I don't play NCAA. That's so stupid. Like that would never work. Dude, fast forward 15 years. That is the modern NFL offense. Like I'm that's it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I have I do have sound effects still, so hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. A taste, uh, a taste of what you'll get in culture and conversations, right here. Right. Yeah. Pick up your sticks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, just, I mean, just, I mean, that is what, that is what, I mean, right? You think about it. You can simulate when you have the right parameters set up in a game. You could simulate what could happen. And you're right. You can totally, that's totally what we're seeing now with football. And people are acting like so mind blown by, like, oh, look at Lamar Jackson or look at Patrick Mahomes and these quarterbacks with mobility and they can throw. We've been playing video games like that forever. You know? Right. Right. Uh, you know, so. So it, what it, you're it, saying we, is you're yeah, the last starfighter of football. <laughs> <laughs> I really that's do. a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one, too. I, I really do think, though, that it, it's not. <laughs> sorry i'll stop no no please <laughs> please continue i really do think though again that it's it's not it's not because i have some great football acumen because i don't it's it's because again like i was talking about like when you play a video game you're like well how does this work like what if i just did this over and over and over again and you're exploiting an ai to some extent i mean not a true ai but you know what i mean the computer yeah. um but but yeah like you said you can simulate it so many times i mean the same thing happened in nba 2k i used to play nba 2k you know, 10, 12 years ago, and I would only shoot threes or layups and never, never did mid range. Cause I was like, why would I not shoot a three or a layup? Like that's all I want. And that was not how the NBA was played forever. And now insert Steph Curry and James yep. Harden and the entire game is either threes or layups. That's it. Or, you know, dunks or whatever, but there is no more mid range game. And again, I don't think that I'm a brilliant basketball mind either. It's more that just having access to the simulated environment over and over again. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, it's, it's cool. I guess the reason I bring these stories up is just because we've talked about how it can relate to these abstract ideas or these kind of like more fantastical ideas, but it also can translate into something that is like a more you know real world application. You know what I mean? Such as sports games, for example. Well, I mean like you bring it simulation and video game are, there's a blurry line. There's not a defined line between those two. And like simulations are what they use to everywhere from like, you know, science and protein folding technologies through, you know, market analysis and voter turnout projections. Like those are all simulations, which are all just, co I mean, you can take the same AI that can play, you know, Starcraft or AlphaGo or, you know, you know, chess masters and whatever can be used to figure out just simulate you know i'm sure if you simulated 2000s year you know football or basketball or whatever you could find a way to exploit the thing that everybody else is doing you know it's like process improvement everybody's doing it this way if you run it 10,000 times what's the one thing the edge case that nobody's prepared for like, mm -hmm. but you can do that to the economy. <laughs> like that's what companies do every day when they're trading stocks. And, and like, we've talked about this some off offline, but that's, that's all, it's very close to a video game. You're not playing it with WASD or a controller. You're playing it by programming a, an algorithm into a variable and saying, what happens if I change this variable by point one? you know? 
Mm-hmm. That's still a game. You're still putting an input in and running it and checking an output. And the boss is, how can I make a billion dollars with this algorithm? How can I be the next Google? Like, so I think there's a there's a big blurry line there where it's not so cut and dry as what's a video game and what's not. I agree. I agree. Uh, we find ourselves, uh, you know, living in that in that world where um, those simulations have real consequences, and um, you know, people. You know, you're seeing it now with um, you're seeing it now with you know how madness. You know, I'm not even say Madden, but um, uh, like they're doing a lot of these like uh, hyper uh, next level analytics where they're tracking how fast players are running and stuff on the field and and uh, you know release you know the, the, the how fast the football's flying out of somebody's hands or you know all this stuff that these advanced advanced analytics. And there's a reason for that, right? Like they know that these things correlate in some way to results. So to your point, Brett, like if you can do that with stocks, if you, if you can do that with, um, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, parking spot allocations on a college campus, you know, then you know that if I keep this much as quote unquote uh, restricted parking, then I'm going to generate this much revenue for the university and parking fines. Uh, same thing with, uh, you, know, you know, speeding tickets or whatever on a highway. All this stuff is game stuff. And, you know, it's all game theory. And they know that, you know, based on if I change the variable over here, given human nature and, you know, our, our tendency to do certain things, I can get an outcome that I, that's really favorable. I mean, heck, not to be not to be those people at tonight, but uh, even gerrymandering, right? That's game theory too, yep. right? Like all of that stuff is, you know, all that stuff is all game theory. So uh, every small town yeah, has that one road where everybody knows you you go five miles under the speed limit here because you will get caught if you go the yeah. speed limit they'll pull you over and then every small town person knows that there's like these three back roads you can go hilltop and drive 90 miles an hour don't matter because there will never be a policeman out there and that's this is yeah. playing the yep. game <laughs> You're playing the game you're playing the game so um so yeah when you realize that you know people say gaming doesn't matter then you're not looking at the world around you because i think pretty much a lot of things are games you know they're just they're just people and parameters being manipulated with a desired outcome in mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that, and I think it's also, I think it's, you know, I did an episode on the walk show about this before we started pick up your sticks and, and probably was a big impetus for why I asked Brett if he, if he would do a show with me because I wanted to talk about it more. Um, because it, for someone to say like, I don't like video games well, that would be to me. That's the equivalent of someone being like, "I don't like any movies." Not just like I don't like blockbuster <laughs> movies or something, but like I don't like any movie. And it's like that doesn't make any sense. There's such a variety of movies. There has to be one that resonates with. I don't you. like visual media. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's like, yeah, you do, or like I don't like music. Like, yeah, you do. There's some yeah. song that you like, and same thing with games. Like, especially now. I mean, you know, I talked earlier. I mean, I think James brought it up, but whatever, we talked about the indie game scene and how that kind of blew up and it gave access to all these new developers. But, I mean, that has just exponentially grown to where now you've got phone games and, and handheld games and tablet games and PC indie games and, and still all the AAA titles. So you've got all this, all, all this variety of games. It's like, you can't tell me you can't tell me that there's not one for you. There's too many. <laughs> like when it was only like Mario and Duck Hunt, like fine if you don't like either one of those. You know what I mean? But we're past that. We're past that. It's not 1987 anymore, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. It, you know, that's like when somebody tells me they don't like steak. I'm like, 
Like you must just have never had a good one. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I get it. I get it. And, and that's not to offend anybody who's uh, you know, has a different uh, dietary your perspective, but um, maybe bacon's more friendly. Um, <laughs> if you tell me you don't like bacon, I've never had good bacon. You know, right? I don't know what to tell you. You know, I don't know. You know, but I, I feel like you know, I feel like it's just people just never taking time to sit down and, and, and process it. But I think it's like everything else to, to some degree, maybe being a little bit favorable to those people. I think a lot of it comes down to being, Hey, do, are they good at it? You, you know, we tend we tend to only want to do what we're good at. And so and trying new stuff. Know, scary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You're right. And, and not being good at something, we judge ourselves so harshly for it as if we can't make progress at it as if the pursuit of trying to become better isn't somewhat of a reward in itself, you know? And um, so I think a lot of times when you hear people say, I don't like video games, it just means that they just suck at them and they don't want to admit it. You know, they don't want to go, they don't want to experience sucking at something that, you know, they feel like they can quote unquote live without. So. Right. Yeah. Right. So I, we probably should start to wrap up because I know we've been here for, for a little over an hour and we don't mean to just take all of your evening from you. That's uh, cool, man. But I will ask one other gaming-related question. So, you know, you talked about, you know, as a kid, obviously you're playing Mario and you're really kind of entranced by the the game mechanics of it and the fact that you're controlling this little dude on the screen and, and all of that stuff. But Mario isn't really a story-rich game, at least not back then, right? Sure. Um, and then, but then your favorite game of all time is Final Fantasy VIII, which certainly has gameplay mechanics to it, but I would say is a very heavily story-influenced and world building kind of experience so do you think that you're more attracted to uh and maybe attracted is not the right but whatever more attracted to to games based on game mechanics or based on the story that they're telling or the world that they're creating if, if that makes sense you know it really depends on you know i hate to be in the middle right like it depends yeah. but it really does depend like um you know i can i can play a fighting game Mm-hmm. And get enjoyment out of a fighting game, which is purely just mechanics at that point, mechanics and graphics. But at the same time, um, I can play a game like I was you know, like the game last game I was playing. Also, the where I've kind of got stuck at is a sniper elite, where mm-hmm. you know you're you're running through this world as a as a like a World War II world as a sniper. Um, and so there's a you know you're obviously trying to stop. I think I think the whole goal is trying to stop this these these missile launches from happening. Um, and you, that's your piece of it is to stop the, um, the German, I think it's U2 missiles from uh, firing. Right. So, you know, that's a great story and it takes you into that. So the game plays rough and brutal at times and it's kind of cheesy as in certain things that it does, but the game, but the story is good. So I guess it does just really depend. It takes, it takes a little bit of both. I like, a, you know, it, it's kind of like the, like, for instance, it's kind of really like how I look at movies, right? I go see the Marvel movies not because I'm just sucked into like some story. The story is pretty much, you know, you know, here I am, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a superhero. I beat up people and in the end. Right. Um, and there's some big bad guy looming and, and the eventually we want to fight him and beat him. Right. So that's, that's Marvel movies in a nutshell. Right. But, uh, but that, that's the, that, that they're so, there's so much of an escape from reality. Most of them. Um, and they, they're so agenda free. Most of them that you just enjoy losing yourself into that. But then there's something uh, really sophisticated, you know, some sophisticated movie that maybe is like an Oscar nominee, right? You know, and then you find like, 
but then you find like that happy balance where maybe it's like the dark Knight, where you know you've got like a heath ledger just like oscar award-winning performance but you've also got the edginess and grit of a of a movie and a great story but then you've still got the superhero element in there you've got like the perfect blend so if i had to say you know what i'm attracted to i think it's just i think i'm just attracted to um this is gonna sound really kind of condescending but i'm really attracted to excellence so if you if you can give me a great mechanic great if you can give me a great story great um but i think that there has to be with video games obviously a minimum level of mechanic because if the gameplay really sucks because the mechanics are bad then you're not gonna you don't i don't care how great the story is you're not gonna hang around for it so you know all in all it takes a little bit of it takes at least a minimum level of gameplay um, excellence in the mechanics for it for it to catch me but um i love a good story um and it also kind of you know i also kind of like seeing i like progression too so i like um the idea of like with assassin's creed um which i need to beat that game too <laughs> um of g- getting to the end and and then seeing where the next piece of the story goes so mm-hmm. yeah so yeah it, it's a mix for me it's a mixed bag yeah, no, that's fair. It's it's really interesting to see how games have really changed over the year. You know, it used to be RPGs were were exclusively RPGs. So to see that kind of like levels and experience points and hit points and that kind of character growth that you would see in something like Final Fantasy was really pretty exclusive to things like Final Fantasy uh, or, or at least games in that genre. And and then in the last fifteen years, you've just seen an explosion of of every genre kind of incorporating those mechanics to where you know something like call of duty modern warfare that's you know a shooter incorporates into the multiplayer unlocking new gear and unlocking new equipment and having this progression system that's a very rpg like system in a Mm -hmm. totally a not rpg game you know yeah that might be a that might be another game that i have to add into my you know pantheon in particular, Call of Duty Big Red One. Mm. Um, it was a World War. I think Big Red One was World War One, um, or maybe no, it may have been World War Two because I remember there was a scene there where they had to free France, and like there was just this moment. You know, I had, um, you know, this was I got this game when I was uh, in college, so I had uh, the PS2, the PlayStation Two. I had the, um, uh, I had this big stereo system. And I had run the audio through the big stereo system. And uh, it was so crazy because I had this massive audio and I had like a 13-inch screen TV, right? And uh, and that was what, what I was doing. 13-inch screen and 32-inch speakers. That's, 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 yeah. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's my world. <laughs> you could hear me before that's you right. saw me. You know? and, uh, and I remember playing, man, and uh, there was this one scene where we were going into France and I just, I just, I caught it. I saw the cinematography and I was like, this is the most amazing cinematography I've ever seen in a video game in my life. I had, I had one guy in my band of brothers, you know, whose back was against the wall, uh, you know, and you could kind of see around the corner, but you could see him with his back against the wall. Like he's peering around the corner. You see like all these explosions going on. You see like, you know, these, these vehicles and debris in the street, you, you know, you, you just see all the, you see everything. And, you, and I was like, okay. This is somebody, somebody took time to design this just for me to say, <gasps> and, and when, and when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is amazing. This is really amazing. It's really good. And, um, so easy, easier, easy to play game. Um, 
but the the just the visual storytelling in that game uh, or the visual aesthetic in that game is just amazing. So, um, you know, and obviously that, that sort of Call of Duty shtick is to give you like a really easy to play game, but it's really graphically immersive and just beautiful. So um, that was that that there's a special nod um, that needs to be given to that one for me. So for sure. I like that. I like that. People don't give Call of Duty very much credit uh, in the game. I mean, they do because they they buy it like crazy. But but people want to hate on Call of Duty as being like the the no offense to McDonald's, but like the McDonald's of video games. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and yeah, that's like, fair. You know? And it's like, it, yeah, sometimes. I mean, but was it, I think it was Black Ops Two at the end. Like, and there's a lot of missions that I was kind of meh throughout but like the last mission you're like running on this bridge and it's there's so much going on that you you actually kind of get that like not that i want to call it like i know what fighters fatigue is but like you actually kind of want to stop because you're overstimulated but you're also like i have there are f-16s flying overhead there's cars exploding i have to go i can't stop and but it's a video game. Like of course you could hit the start button and it stops right there. And I go make some hot pockets. Doesn't matter. Like, but, but when you're in the middle, you're like, no, you, you have to go. You've got to get there. You've got to complete the mission. And that's a feeling that yeah. you don't get that like need to drive that kind of anxiety. It doesn't come in a lot of games. Do, I mean, I remember in call of duty, modern warfare, which was the, the fourth call of duty, technically, um, they the way it starts in, in the single player campaign is you're like you you kind of come to and you're in the back seat of a car and you're driving through this street and you see people like out on the the sides of the road and it looks like you're in some sort of middle eastern nation you don't know you know where of course but anyway and eventually the car stops and you get out and there's a dude who's dressed kind of like a a general or something i guess he's got like the beret and the mirrored sunglasses on or whatever and and the people are all like cheering and he straight up pulls a pistol out and just shoots you directly in the face. And then the screen fades to black because you're playing like this kidnapped, like president that's being like overthrown in a coup or whatever. And I mean, again, like, you know, Final Fantasy games and those sorts of things have have some emotional moments. And obviously it's the very beginning. So it wasn't like some deep investment in the character, but that kind of that kind of hit like that was kind of like whoa like <laughs> oh we're there already <laughs> yeah like didn't never had that happen because because it's, it's all again it's all from the first person so you see the barrel of the gun pointing directly right. into the screen you know and it's just like huh seen a lot of video game shootings but never like that right. you know yeah there was a scene in uh, uh modern warfare i think it may have been two the last one i played um and the guy got stabbed in the chest and uh, he pulls a knife out and he throws a knife to kill the guy who stabbed mm-hmm. him. And, uh, you know, so I remember that being the ending of one of those games. that was really cool. You know, and I think that's one of the things about Martin, like Call of Duty. You know, it's not, you know, it, it is, it's kind of like Marvel movies, um, you know, in terms of video games. It, it, you know, and that's not to throw shade, uh, shade on Marvel movies, but. It, it, you know, it isn't hard, but it, they give you a great experience. So, right. you know, it's, you just, you just wanna, it's a nice, fun game. And, and I think that, I think that in all the things that I, I guess we were talking about, maybe as a way of summing it up, is that video games are fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, all the things that you could say about video games, they're fun. And, and if a video game is fun, I don't care what it is, it's gonna, it's gonna have a special place in people's hearts. And, and I, I would, I gotta say, if you go to McDonald's and you get, a fresh Big Mac, yeah, 
oh. and a fresh order of fries yes. and an appropriately carbonated and syrup mixed, you know, Coca-Cola, it's not a bad time. Now, I'm not saying you want it every day, but it's also it's reliable. Good. It's right. It is, the chicken nuggets have been the same <laughs> chicken nuggets since I was born. <laughs> there's a little yep, boot yep. chicken nugget, and there's a little teardrop yep. chicken nugget, and they have been the same. That mold has never changed once. <laughs> Burger King tried dinosaurs and chicken fries. You never know what kind of chicken nuggets you're going to get at Burger King. But at McDonald's, mm-hmm, you're yeah. lucky to get the same chicken nugget that you got fed as soon as you had teeth. <laughs> like, yep. That's the same yep. time. Yep. And, uh, uh, Honorable mentions to the McFlurry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, yep, yep. I'll give you but, that. I'll give you that. <laughs> yeah. Honorable mentions. Yeah. But, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's consistency, man. That's the that's what makes it awesome, you know. Right, right. Well, yeah, I'm glad you gave some some props, like I said, to Call of Duty, because uh, yeah, it, it it's not my favorite game series of all time or something, but it it needs a little love. It needs a little love. It's just everybody fun. has you a know what I mean. Mac every now and again. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's just fun, you know. I, and I think that's the thing that games you know, should be more than anything else. They should be fun, and um, and and you know, you have the right though as a gamer as you mature to define your fun however you want to, whether it's problem solving, uh, whether it's immersion, um, whether it's collaboration, and uh, whether it's the the you know the multiplayer experience, you know, however you want to sum it up. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, you're playing it because it's fun, yeah. and uh, you know, and that's what makes uh, that's what makes me pick up my sticks when I do is is that I want to have some fun. Well, it's awesome. Well, and and another thing that you're pretty big in on, which is you know another one of the reasons why you're here, and uh, and why we wanted to have you on is uh, uh, we we consider a pretty amazing and excellent and uh, a good time is culture and conversations. Your podcast. Yeah, um, I'll just uh, shout out two things real quick. Um, so we're 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 really pushing right now to. Um, sort of uh, rebrand uh, our video stream, hashtag the group chat. And uh, if you want to find it, it's all associated with culture and conversations. Uh, but I have uh, two great co-hosts. Um, one of them is named Brandy. The other one is named Ray. And we have a great time bringing a smattering of, you know, culture and conversations, deep dive conversations into a live stream but then at the same time incorporating some fun elements and and some 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 satire towards or not even say satire but a critique of culture um and we have fun doing that and then obviously uh, one of the things that will definitely ramp back up here as we get ready to go into the um get deeper into the second quarter of the year is uh culture and conversations the audio podcast which is really the initial thing that we found it that i found it that started all this podcasting stuff so uh, yeah, if you're listeners look, listening uh, for just interesting conversations with uh, people that they may or may not know, um, then yeah, that's where my podcast lives. And I like to think that everyday people do amazing things and we just don't talk enough about them because uh, we're not celebrities. But I think that if you heard some of these stories, like for instance, um, you know, a couple who came on my podcast who where the husband was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and um, the question then becomes, uh, you know, how do they live with that? You know, how do you live in that new normal? And so, you know, if, if you're looking for those types of inspirational stories um, or just encouraging stories or just thought provoking stories, then, uh, yeah, that's what culture and conversations is. And like I said, we do a live stream. The live stream, if you want to see the video stuff, is on YouTube uh, associated with culture and conversations. Also, Instagram culture and conversations. And then finally on Facebook Live, Culture and Conversations. 
Awesome. And we'll have some of those links available uh, in the description below as well. So Jameson, thank you so much for, for being here. Is there anything else you want to shout out before we make our way? Yeah, just encourage you guys, man. You guys have a great product. I enjoy listening to your podcast. It's a, it's a very bingeable podcast. <laughs> I love just turning you guys on on Saturday. I'm serious. And just while I'm cleaning the house and doing chores and stuff, just turning you guys on and listening to your talk. You guys talk about gaming and why it matters. And, um, you know, it's, in, it's important that, you know, you continue to tell your story and uh, shed light on this because I think it is a great departure from just hearing about the new video game review and how it sucks or how it's awesome. And I love the fact that you guys are just kind of telling, telling a different side of this world of video gaming. And it's something that regardless if once again, you know, I, I guess the highest compliment I can give you guys, you're my new PC gaming game pro tips and tricks magazine. You really are like, like I keep up with this. That's why that's the appeal. I think that's, I think I just figured out why I love your <laughs> podcast so much is that you guys are, are doing for me what those magazines used to do for me as a kid. And I really appreciate that's, it. That's a huge honor. Thank you so much. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. Thank you for the compliment and thank you uh, so much for stopping by, man. Uh, it's obviously been a, a great pleasure of mine to meet and know you. And uh, it's been fun being on your show and having you on the walk show and, and to be able to have you on pick up your sticks. is just a true pleasure. So thank you so much for coming by. Hey, thank you guys. And if there's anything I can do for you and your audience in the future, let me know. For sure. We will. So that's all for our episode today. Please join the discussion by tweeting your thoughts to us at P-U-Y-S-Pod or follow us there to get a notification on stream times. Check out the links below for many other ways of getting a hold of us, from email to Discord. We'd love to hear and discuss your thoughts. If you like this episode, please rate, star, thumbs up, and review us wherever you're listening, and tell a friend about us. It really does make a difference. All of our links will be available in the show notes, and if you want more of Walker's insights on pretty much everything in life that is not related to gaming, check out his other podcast, The Walk Show, which is available everywhere podcasts are found. Hey NFL fans, Dak Prescott here. Want to spend Sunday afternoons with your favorite teams and players? Switch to DirecTV and get NFL Sunday ticket included at no extra cost. I'm talking every live out-of-market game every Sunday, no matter where you live. So switch to DirecTV to get the 2020 NFL Sunday ticket season included at no extra cost. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Out-of-market games only. Requires choice package or above. Minimum $74.99 a month before discounts. Prices higher in second year. Regional sports fee up to $9.99 a month. Plus 24-month agreement, activation, other fees, terms, and restrictions apply.